Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about how your money is taxed in retirement and pre-retirement. And I think oftentimes when we're looking at financial planning, we're not looking at both sides of the coin. We're we're only looking at one side, and that's normally just pre-retirement. How do I save on taxes right now is really people's mindset. It's not even like looking at the entire time of pre-retirement, Ryan. It's looking at right now. Yeah. Like, so yeah, uh, there's, there's not necessarily a lot of thought given to what's the future. Yep. So you're going to learn a little bit about taxes today and you're going to learn a, a lot about um, really the difference in, in cash flow and taxable income. Um, which I think is a big difference. And that's that's going to take place over today's episode and our next episode as well. So this is part of that three-part series. The last episode you listened to is around true liquidity. So if you're kind of coming in and this is the first episode you're listening to us, jump back one episode and start at true liquidity because we're, we're, piggy, we're piggybacking on top of that episode. And it's important you understand that concept first. Before we, Before dive we in, get there. Yep. What are you drinking? I am drinking... The Enchantment IPA from Icicle. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm a fan. So it, it clocks in. It's a hazy IPA. It clocks in at uh, uh, 6.7%. Um, I did not have an, uh, an opportunity to look up the IBUs. And I'm drinking Sam Adams Oktoberfest. So uh, it's a 5.3 alcohol percentage. And it's just, I don't know. It's always a good. It might just be maybe... Uh, tradition that I go to this. It, it's obviously not the best <laughs> Oktoberfest that's out there, uh, but it's a solid go-to for me. So for, for me, bottle cap rating, I'm going to give it a, a good solid seven. And this is just, it's smooth. It's delicious. This is a great beer. Uh, I'm going to give this an eight out of 10. Love it. So check them out, especially Icicle Brewery. That's out in Leavenworth, Washington. Cool spot if you haven't been out there before. Bavarian Town, and it's all lit up right now for the holidays, which is really yeah. cool too. So, all right, well, let's dive into this. So, um, you know, for, for those of you listening, sorry, you're going to miss a visual side of today's episode, but we'll do our darndest to make sure that we're, we're explaining, uh, what we're also, uh, showing everyone here on YouTube. So when we're looking at someone's balance sheet, you know, we've got, you know, if we're looking at the cash flow down there, Alex, you know, the money that's coming in the door, you know, this person's bringing in 350 K $350,000 a year. And they're saving $60,000, right? So they're saving that $60,000 in maybe several different buckets. Every, everything from maybe their emergency fund to maybe they have an investment account to maybe a retirement account or even a Roth retirement account, right? And you know, if they're doing the Roth, they are taking some sort of consideration around taxes in retirement. For sure. Uh, there might be maybe not strategic outside of like, well, we know that this money's tax free when we take it in retirement past the age of 59 and a half. Um, but the key ingredient here is really looking at, okay, how is my money going to be taxed when I start to distribute it to back to myself? So when I go to retire and I've got these assets there in blue, how do I turn that into income and what are the taxes I'm going to owe? Well, and so this person in our example has about million worth of assets um, of which they've got roughly a million dollars in investments and roughly a million dollars in retirement. Uh, They've only got 150 K in savings. 
Um, and like some people might be saying, oh yeah, only 150K. Uh, but ideally when we get to retirement, we kind of want to see those three numbers or those three buckets be roughly equal. Um, the uh, rest of the assets, we've got a half a million dollars of personal property. Uh, we've got $2 million worth of real estate and we've got a million dollars worth of uh, value in the client's business. Uh, in all likelihood, uh, this business is either going to spin off income in retirement or be sold at retirement. And then that can be turned into uh, income of some kind. Yep. So l- let's talk about taxes because I, I think oftentimes like, we, we've all heard the term, you know, there's two things we can count on death and taxes. Yet a lot of people don't really understand, you know, how taxes have been in the past or even how the tax code works. So Alex, if you can go to uh, not tax concepts, actually, if you could go back, if you can go to third party, Go to the tax history. Yep. And so what Alice is going to bring up here is the history of the federal income tax brackets uh, over the last, what is that, 108 years. So going back to 1913 when they said, hey, we're going to put some taxes in place, but don't worry, it's temporary. Yep. Yep. So we've got (laughs) temporary. I love that. So that's what they said. For those of you looking on on YouTube here, the the lighter green is the highest marginal tax bracket. The darker green is the lowest marginal tax bracket. Okay, and we're going to explain marginal versus effective here shortly. But just bear with me here. So, 1913, as Alex is hovering over, the lowest marginal tax bracket's at one percent, and the highest marginal tax bracket, Alex, is at seven percent. So, 1913, the IRS code gets into place. This is Alex is raising his hand. Can we go back to that, please? Yeah, like that, seriously. that sounds amazing, right? <laughs> so we're looking at 7% and 1%. Now, keep in mind, we hadn't paid taxes up until that point. So the people in this in this area, they're like, no, I don't want to pay taxes. But, you know, they're paying taxes. And now you see how the taxes have grown and shrank over time. And you can see all of a sudden World War I occurs, 1918 there, Alex. And the highest marginal tax bracket jumps to 77%. And the lowest marginal tax bracket has jumped to, what is that, six? Yeah. Six percent. So imagine you were in the lowest tax bracket. You went from one percent to six percent. That's a huge jump. (laughs) And then obviously the highest marginal tax bracket, you go from seven percent to 77 percent, right? And then the Great Depression occurs and it comes plummeting down. Now it comes plummeting down. It doesn't come back down to 7% for the high wage earners. It comes down to 25, right? And so how do we pay for war? Well, taxes, right? So, and then we get World War II and we kind of see what's going on here. And the the crazy years for me is always 1944, I think, and 45. 1944, the highest marginal tax rate is 94%. And the lowest marginal tax rate, Alex, what's the lowest one in there? 23. 23. The lowest marginal tax rate is 23%. And imagine being in the 94% category. That means at some point in the income coming in the door, at some point of every dollar you make, you only got to keep six cents. Think about that for a second. Like that's crazy to even think about. Then we get out into the the seventies, and then right around the eighties, that's when the tax brackets start start coming plummeting down to kind of what we're used to today. Now, Ronald Reagan's given a lot of credit 
for the tax bracket coming plummeting down. And while there is some pieces that he put in place, he didn't magically step in, snap his fingers and say, poof, tax brackets are cut in half. Right. They they also went through a bunch of tax reform to like modify how a bunch of like uh, different partnerships and like there was a ton of, of tax changes in the late 70s, early 80s. Yep. And there's one other key ingredient that we often forget about. All of a sudden, there is a certain sex that wasn't going to work pre, call it 1980. I'm oversimplifying it here a little bit, but just kind of explaining my point. That all of a sudden was going to work after 1980. And to our female listeners listening, you probably knew it right off the bat. All of a sudden, we had dual household incomes for the first time. Well, not for the first time, but in in more numbers, which also helped us to change the tax code. And the IRS still get the same amount of money that they're accustomed to, but just change the tax brackets and different tax codes that they've been working on on the 70s up into the 80s. So we go through this process. We take it all the way. Let's just fast forward here, Alex, and take it out to where we're at today. And so the highest marginal tax bracket today is 37 and the lowest is 10, if I'm not mistaken. You're correct. Yep. So 10%. So this is what tax brackets have been throughout the history of the US. Now, this isn't a conversation of predicting where tax brackets are going to go. I have no idea. Like if you would have told me in 2000, what was it, 18, Alex, um, when the tr- when the bracket, when the brackets changed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2018. So go back to 2017. 2017, the highest marginal tax bracket was 39.6%. The very next year, 2018, the highest marginal tax bracket is 37% and some other, and there's different tax now that even added brackets uh, to that. So we we can't predict what's going to happen. But the question that I've got for you is this. If you're putting all of your money, so in 1978, that's when the 401k tax code was invented. And it was put in place with the, uh, the implementation of, well, If I put some money into this retirement plan, this 401k retirement plan, I'll defer the taxes until I'd start to take money out of that account. So it grows tax, tax, tax deferred, right? And you owe ordinary income taxes when you pull the money out. Well, if you retired in the late seventies, that plan was magical. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you retired in 1980, that plan worked out to perfection because look where tax codes went. Like it went from 70% down to, you know, the highest was 39.6, uh, at least in the last two decades. Yeah. You, you got to deduct your 401k contributions at your highest earning potential at a high rate of tax. And then when you pulled the money out, again, this is for the the folks that were in the top tax bracket, like you got a chance to really take a big deduction Yep. Um, in terms of what you had to pay. Now, if we look at the lowest tax bracket at that same time period, Ryan, like it went from 14 down to 11, back up to 15. Yep. So for th- for those folks, eh, it didn't really work out so well. So what I'm getting at here is now look at where you've been putting money. And most of the time when we sit down with someone, the vast majority of their wealth is sitting in a tax deferred account. And what there's essentially what their balance sheet is stating to them, whether or not they know it or not, 
is they're hoping that they're in a lower retirement tax bracket when they retire. And they're betting. They're literally betting on it. When we're all told that, oh, you, you won't be, you'll be retired. You won't be making as much money. And reality is like most of, like I was talking with a CPA the other day and he goes, yeah. So reality is most of my clients have actually been in the same, if not a higher tax bracket in retirement. And so this whole concept of paying less taxes in retirement hasn't come to fruition for my clients. Yep. So now let's go to the let's go to the the tax calculator there, Alex, that you started to started to show us before we went here. So I mentioned marginal and effective, and we're going to go through this rather quickly. So let's just use the three hundred and fifty number, three hundred fifty thousand dollars that uh, the client was at. So if you make three hundred fifty thousand dollars, let's just say it's all taxable. We're going to exclude standard deduction for today. Let's just say after standard deduction, it's three hundred and fifty. <coughs> Your highest marginal tax bracket is twenty four percent. Right, so highest marginal tax bracket is the amount of the percentage of taxes that you'll pay on some of your money. Really, the last in this case, the last hundred and seventy thousand dollars coming in the door. And if you make one additional dollar, the rate at which it's taxed. Correct. The effective tax bracket is if you take the total tax owed, in this case, it'd be $70,800, and you divide it by $350,000, now your effective tax rate is 20.23%. That's the difference between marginal and effective. So I'm going to play a little game here just to show you how you should maybe start to look at how you can mess and utilize the tax code to your advantage, understanding now how stuff gets taxed. Because what you're looking at there in scenario one, what I just explained to you is when you get to retirement, if you need $350,000, that's how you're going to get taxed if it's all coming from a 401k that hasn't been taxed, a tax deferred 401k. But imagine if you get to retirement and you've got some amount of money in tax deferred, some in Roth, maybe some in a taxable account and use different strategies. Maybe you still take 350 as the gross income, but only 250000 of it is taxable. Which means now, as we hit calculate, you have the same marginal tax rate of 24%, but your effective tax rate is 13% because you only owe $46,000 because only $250,000 of the three hundred fifty is taxable. This isn't some magic trick. This is just understanding how the tax code works. And understanding where you're putting your money in the strategy to distribute it to yourself, which is what we're going to end today's episode on. So Alex, if we want to go to the linear asset paydown, so we're going to show like a version of how to do scenario two. And this is concept, right? So please take that like this isn't <laughs> exact numbers because there's many variables that are here. And that's looking at how do we now, okay, let's... Let's compare if one per if we had all of our assets in a taxable account, what's our net take home after tax using like an interest only approach, which Alex is going to dive into versus a different strategy. So Alex, I'm going to kind of hand this off to you and let you take it away. All right. So we're looking at a 30 year time horizon in retirement. Uh, we're assuming that the money that we're using here is taxable dollars. Um, we're looking at end, like taking a distribution at the end of the year. It just makes the math a little bit easier to follow. Um, we've got a two hundred or sorry, a two million dollar asset. 
Um, and it's the exact same asset, whether we're taking interest only or whether we're taking both principal and interest. In both scenarios, we've got a 4% rate of return. So again, it's the same investment. The only difference between these two things is the strategy that we're using. Um, and I use the exact same 24% uh, marginal rate that we had calculated when we were looking at it before. Um, <clears throat> what this is designed to do is it's designed to say, hey, we get one extra dollar worth of income. What rate is it taxed at? So we take a look at these things. Uh, on the interest only side, we've got $2 million asset. We're getting a 4% distribution rate. Hey, Alex, what, while you're there, zoom in a little bit for our viewers so they can read that a little bit easier. Yep. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Um, so 2 million times 4% is $80,000. Like, that's not terribly hard math. Um, but at the same time, like it, like doing math in your head when you're not used to doing the math is can be still challenging. So $80,000 is being generated off of uh, $2 million worth of asset. Of that, if we're at a 24% tax rate, we now have to pay $19,200 a year of taxes, which means that we only get to enjoy $60,800. And since we're only living on the interest, our $2 million is still left there as legacy value at the end of the year. And then we're rinsing and repeating where we start with $2 million, we pull 80000 we pay 19200 in taxes, which means that we get to enjoy $60,800. So for every $2 million worth of assets that you have, you get $60,000 a year of income to enjoy. Now, this is taking the interest-only approach. And again, we're u- we're utilizing spreadsheet math. We get 4% every single year. And the purpose of doing 4% is so you've always got the legacy value, the two mi- your initial principal, the $2 million doesn't go down because obviously we're worried about the stock market going up and down. Well, we have several worries in retirement. So we're worried about dipping into principal, right? Yep. And we've talked about the 4% rule, which is kind of a staple of financial planning dating back to the late late 80s, early 90s um, in terms of like where that number comes from. And yes, reality is it's not going to stay at exactly 2 million. It's going to go up and down over time. Uh, the idea and concept here, though, is that we can take a 4% distribution uh, without fear of running out of money. Um, and so ultimately, at the end of that 30-year time period, we've created... $2.4 million of income over that time period. We had to pay $576,000 in taxes, which means that we only got to enjoy a little over $1.8 million of the two point four that we created. And we still have our $2 million that we originally started with. Now, if we go ahead and start with the same $2 million and we chew up a little bit of that $2 million every year, so that we hit zero at the end of 30 years. Well, we were able to create way more cash flow, $115,000 a year versus 80. It's a very significant increase. So this is amortizing of an asset. We've Many people probably heard amortization maybe on their mortgage, right? Where eventually the mortgage is down to zero and paid off. This is the opposite where you're taking more money from your asset and in the end, it, it does deplete down to zero. It's a yeah. tax strategy that Alex is going to go into and explain. 
the same concept, only instead of applied to a liability, which we want to get rid of, it's being applied to an asset, which we may not want to get rid of. Uh, but at the same time, the cash flow uh, may become more important or more desirable. Um, so we start with $2 million. We're able to create $115,000 a year of cash flow. Uh, that only still creates the same $19,200 worth of taxes. And most of the time, clients are like, well, wait. We got almost $40,000 more money. How are the taxes the same? And the easiest way to think about this is like, okay, well, if you had $100,000 in your bank account and you pulled $10,000 out, do you owe any taxes on that? No, you don't. You know, if you gained $500 a year in interest, whether you leave the full $100,000 there or whether you pull $10,000, you still owe taxes on just the earnings, which is $500 in that example. So, so as you can see here, real quick here, Alex, you, you started with a $2 million asset. You pulled out $115,000. You owed the same amount of taxes that you did in that, that interest-only approach. But look at the legacy value, and this is what Alex was just explaining, is now the $2 million went down to one point nine. million. You know, one million nine hundred sixty-four thousand dollars. So we're dipping into principal. That dip into principal is tax-free money, right? And so we get to wind up enjoying more than fifty uh, percent more money, ninety-six thousand uh, and change net of taxes compared to sixty thousand and change net of taxes. Um, and so if we fast forward all the way down to the bottom. But we've got a, a concern or an issue that we need to deal with. It, it may or may not be a problem. And that is our legacy has gone to zero. Uh, however, we were able to create three and a half, nearly three and a half million dollars worth of cash flow, about an extra million dollars in change over what we did in the first scenario. And we were able to reduce down our tax bill by more than $200,000, which means that we were able to go ahead and go from 1.8 of income of cash flow created that we get to enjoy all the way up to 3.1. Uh, so we added an extra $1.3 million of cash flow that you get to enjoy during your lifetime. And if you scroll down here, Alex, you can show them the, the percentage difference it's a 71% increase in the amount of cash flow that you get to enjoy. Yeah. That's drastic. It's now, so we're clear, difference. we're not telling you, please, <laughs> caveat, disclosure, we're not telling you to take all of your money, put it in one account, and then start spending it down. That's not what we're saying. This is a concept and strategy <laughs> that you can do with some of your money, depending on how you've set yourself up. Right. So real quick, Alex, you just want to like break this off and say 1.5 in scenario two instead of 2 million. Yeah. Uh, so if we did spend down those assets, we got somewhere in the neighborhood of a 50 to 55% chance of running out of money. Um, and so the solution is to take uh, one and a half million instead of 2 million and spend that down and create, use the other half a million and put that in a fixed account that we get a guaranteed rate of return on. So if we do that, now we're at 1.5 to start with, we're still able to generate more gross cash flow, 86 and change versus 80. We wind up with way more net cash flow, 72 and change versus 60. 
And when we go ahead and look at that, we're now able to generate an extra $200,000 of cash flow over that entire time period. We pay $300,000 and change less in taxes. So we get to increase our cash flow by approximately $500,000, which is a 28% difference. And we only used 75% of the money. And this becomes huge because now if we go ahead and take a look at uh, the rest of like what happens with the, with that money, if we're, let's see, give me just a second. I'm going to try and pull up the uh, calculators inside of LBS here. Um, so if we start out with half a million dollars, hopes if I get the right number of zeros there, and let's say we get a 4% guaranteed growth rate over a 30-year time period. Well, now that half a million dollars grows back to 1.6. And the reason why this is important is because now if we wind up running out of money on our original $1.5 million, we can replace it. Yep. And this happens on a... Like we need to find something that gives us a 4% guaranteed rate of return. But if we're looking at a 30-year time horizon, we can absolutely find vehicles that are going to give us a 4% guaranteed rate of return. And the critical part is we have to have that money out of the market. It can't be in bonds. It can't be in real estate. It can't be in stocks. It has to be in something that provides guarantees because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And when we run out of money, we need that money to be there and be liquid to be able to use. So piggyback back off our last episode where you spoke into true liquidity and starting that bucket sooner than later, Alex is that $500,000 that he just mentioned. That's that true liquidity bucket that we've been talking about, which allows you to leverage your assets in, in different ways and different strategies. This is not... I, the takeaway from today is, okay, this is going to be the strategy. I'm going to do the amortization of an asset. That, that's not what today's takeaway is. The, today's takeaway is understanding where you're putting your money today matters so that you can have the flexibility and the access to the different tax strategies when you retire. And that's the key piece that most people do not tie together. Yeah. If all $2 million was sitting in a 401k, we wouldn't have access to the strategy. Um, we might, might. We'd have to go ahead and take a chunk of change at $500,000 and drop it into a vehicle that provided a 4% guarantee to be able to create this. Uh, reality is that that's unlikely to, to happen at retirement. And the amount of risk that we would be taking that we run into a bad time to make that change is very significant. Um, and so ultimately, we need to make sure that we're building up that $500,000 bucket of guaranteed cash prior to retirement. And the easiest way to do that is to do it systematically and repeatedly over time so that when we need it, it's there. So two takeaways today. Hopefully takeaway number one is understanding maybe a little bit better the tax code and how taxes operate. And then number two, where you're putting your money today matters for flexibility and strategic options when we retire, when you need to distribute the income from your assets. Which takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Well, before we, sorry, Ryan, before we go there, this is a strategy. As you said earlier, this is not the strategy. 
this is one potential solution. And oftentimes we will do this with part of a client's assets. Uh, it is rare, if not, I, I hate using extremes and absolutes, um, but I can't remember a time where we did this strategy with all of a client's money. Yep. So it's it's important to make sure that we that we understand how to create balance with a strategy like this. Um, so going back to the question of the day, our question today is: How have you considered taxes, both what the taxation is today and what the taxation is expected to be when you need that money, whether that's retirement or college or whenever else? So head over to beerandmoney.net and there's a spot for you to either answer, answer that question or maybe you've got several questions coming from this because this is a conversation we have with our clients just explaining different strategies. And they normally have a couple questions after the fact, like they, they see it and they think they get it and then they've got further questions. So we would love to hear what questions you have further about what we've discussed today. If you're only listening uh, via the podcast today, check out the YouTube channel because I do think seeing the numbers will help. Uh, understand this a little bit better, a little bit easier, especially if you're a visual person like me. Um, Again, fearandmoney.net. We hope this episode was valuable for you. And as always, Mr. Collins. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon 97201. Phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, CA Insurance License, number 0K24924. Alexander Collins, CA Insurance License, number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2023-166782, expiration December 2025.